Welcome to the Sounds of the World. We are your hosts, Hillary and Bill. Together, we're going to travel around the world to discover new music, discuss musical topics, and interview fascinating people. Our world is a buffet of music, and it is time to eat. Today, we have a special cross-broad uh, podcast guest. Let's try saying that five times fast. Um, she hails from Clarence, New York, which is located near Rochester. Uh, or sorry, near Buffalo. I apologize. She graduated from Baldwin Wallace Conservatory in Brea, Ohio, where she received her bachelor's degree in music education. She's now at Eastman School of Music, where she's pursuing her master's in music technology and learning. Currently teaching 7th to 12th grade band at Greece Odyssey Academy in Greece, New York. In June, she graduated, or she, sorry, in June, she created a podcast called Her Story, which is a podcast dedicated to the equity and inclusivity in music. Her interviews are centered around stories of not only claiming their space, but educating, advocating, and bringing awareness to the inequity issues that still exist in the music profession. Her story was one of the podcasts that really inspired me to create my own, and uh, episodes are just so insightful and inspiring. Today, we're going to switch the table on her, though, and interview her about her background, being a female in music, and her fight for better inclusion in the public education slash band world. Please welcome Cassidy Reed. Thanks for having me. Woohoo! Thank you so although much. Although I'm getting, here. I'm majoring in music teaching and learning. Although I wish right now it was music technology and learning because I'm having. Oh Lord! <laughs> <laughs> I saw that and I was like, not quite, but I wish I got that degree now because you know half my teaching is online now. So <laughs> you'll get a certificate in the mail. It's fine. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I know where Rochester and Buffalo are. Mm-hmm. And so, in relation to them, where is like Greece or? Uh, or Clarence. Okay, so uh, yeah, I teach in Greece, New York, which is about 15 minutes north of the city of Rochester. Um, it's very much divided between North and South Greece. It's one of the largest public school systems in New York State. Um, okay. And uh, there's a lot of equity issues between the two sides. A lot of North Greece has uh, socioeconomically more wealthy students and families living there and southern south greece is the opposite which is where i teach i teach on the south end of greece and uh i'm from clarence new york which is about uh 15 20 minutes 20 minutes north of buffalo ish um so it's it's above buffalo so we're about halfway between niagara falls and buffalo um so going to niagara falls was never a super crazy thing for me as a kid like it is for other people from other states that you know travel across the states to go see niagara falls i'm like eh Road trip. Cool. I'm close to Yellowstone Park and people are like, oh, Yellowstone. I'm like, yeah, Yellowstone. <laughs> exactly. See, I would think that would be so cool, right? That's like a bucket list thing for me, but that's kind of how Niagara Falls is for me, so. Oh, yeah. It's funny when it's it's in your backyard, you're like, yeah, it's, it's yeah. all right. <laughs> My first question was, did you have any if or many female instructors as you grew up? So uh, growing up, I only had one female band director. Um, so I am wholeheartedly a band kid. That's all I did, fourth grade through 12th grade. Um, I was terrified of choir. Uh, <laughs> didn't want to get anywhere near that. Um, uh, I sang a little bit in fourth and fifth grade chorus, but that was because it was like kind of required of me. And then I was like, band, let's go. So um, I started on trumpet. 
Um, the man who actually started me on my instrument ended up teaching me summer lessons in middle school. And then when I started studying privately, I actually studied with him in high school. So I had him, his influence in my life from fourth through 12th grade. So I credit him for pretty much everything I have done. Um, so shout out to Mr. Vitoski, you're great. Uh, <laughs> but the only, the only female band director I had was my seventh grade uh, band director, um, Andrea Renfola. She was amazing, phenomenal teacher, wonderful woman. Um, her and I still have a very close relationship, but I only had one. Every other band director all the way through uh, was a man, um, even in college and wind ensembles and everything, that was always a man. Um, I did briefly have an orchestra director for one year that was a female in college, but other than that, it was all men all the way through school. Yeah, I came through the band program. We started in sixth grade because uh, yeah. I'm originally from Idaho. So we started in sixth grade, and like you, I just, I, the idea of singing, I was like, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I started with the whole alto saxophone and worked our way through band and drum corps and stuff. But yeah, every, even in college, it wasn't until my doctorate that I finally started getting, having like an actual full-time female professor. Interesting to think back on that and think about like what life would have been a little bit different like, you know? Yeah, I think especially in the band world, we're so used to that normalcy of there being a male band director, right, that we don't really pay attention to it when we're kids. It's the exact opposite for my students. Um, the woman that I replaced in the job I have now was their band director in the position that I have with 7 through 12 band. Um, and if those kids had a female band director in elementary school, they've had a female band director all the way through. So they have a unique experience that they're the complete opposite of what I went through. Um, so they don't see it weird, me being on the podium. Um, so yeah. I think that's kind of a blessing for me and that there wasn't a weird discrepancy because of my, my sex and my gender expression that um, there wasn't a weird, like, why is there a woman up there? Because they had already experienced that for so long, which uh, talking to a lot of women that have been on my podcast who are band directors, that was an issue sometimes when they entered that position. So I didn't have that problem. But again, that's a unique situation with them because most kids, it's male band directors all the way through, especially in the secondary level, for sure. Yeah. And I know a lot of, um, like through my education, my life, female instructors were mostly like the private instructors. So my first piano mm -hmm. professor, piano teacher, my piano professor, my bachelor's, they were all, you know, women, uh, maybe like history, you know, music history. But other than that, yeah. Yeah, you know, they were kind of sectioned off, so to be speak. And that that has to do with a lot of historical and societal influences as well. Um, historically, that's what women were allowed to do when women were first allowed to teach um, was private studios, especially instruments like piano and violin and those things that were considered socially acceptable. Mm -hmm. And then if we look at the history of band, that's stemming from military bands and these large groups, and they were often all men, right? Because women couldn't be in the military back then. Um, so that's kind of where that stems from. So then this whole societal influence has happened and it even still occurs today. Um, not as much so, obviously, because we're starting to be um, more diverse in the teachers that are there and are employed and are pursuing music education degrees, but it does, that influence does have a ripple effect throughout history for sure. Yeah, that's incredible to think about. I had never really thought about like gendering my, or just the gender of my instructors over the year, but now that I think about it, I'm like, most of my instructors are men. <laughs> yeah, it's really weird to think about. Yeah, and I, I grew up in Texas 
initially and then I moved to Montana. So I, I started sixth grade band in Texas and I feel like there was a little more diverse down there. There was, they had like three band instructors cause they split you up into your instruments and that's all you did your sixth grade year. And I remember there being a female instructor there, but when I got to Montana, it was like mainly men. And we only had, I mean, I went to a rural high school, so I had a, a single male um, instructor and he was awesome. But yeah, then I, at the University of Montana, same thing. Sorry, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So they're vocal teachers, you know? Yeah. And even like, I guess our, at the University of Montana, the voice faculty was represented pretty equally because it was two couples that were married. So there were oh. four <laughs> teachers. That's so why you got both. But, that happens, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's different now, but. Yeah, the, one of the big things when I was leaving was we had, they were doing a national search for who was going to be on our composition faculty, and there was a woman on the search, and I remember, like, it was such a big deal because they were like, we might hire a female composition instructor where there's only been men here for the last, like, 50 years. I mean, however old that program was, it had always been men, and... Oh, that was quite the debate. They ended up hiring her, but because she was the best candidate and that was a big, Good. that was a huge deal was like, you can't just hire her because she's a woman. And oh man, <laughs> I'm sure yeah, that's a whole different road. For everything is such a huge issue, right? Like yeah. I, I always come out and I say, I don't, I didn't want my job because I'm a woman and I didn't want to not get my job because I'm a woman, right? Exactly. I want it to be because I'm the best at what I do and you want yeah. to get me for the job, right? Right. Yeah. That's what, that's all we want, right? We just want to be... <laughs> I'm, I am not a female band director. I'm a band director, right? Yeah, I don't yeah. need the the label in front. It's hard to do the the gendered label in front of that. Like, oh well, she's a female composer. It's she's a composer, mm -hmm. <laughs> like, which is oh, it's fascinating. <laughs> but, yeah, have you run into that like in your your career? I know you just graduated, and you're. I think is this is this your first teaching job? It's my uh, my first teaching job. My second year. Yes. Fantastic. Have you, did, yeah. so have you run into that at all, like in your hiring process or even, you know, being at your school or? Well, yeah, I think, I think people are always surprised um, when I interview for a job, when they see me, because not only am I a female and not only am I young, I, I got my first teaching job. I was 21 years old. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting because you look like your high school students. I still get confused for high schoolers in the hallway. Like my assistant principal walked by me the other day and she did a double take and was about to ask me if I had a pass. I, was like, oh, I, I, I don't have a pass. I'm sorry. And I always just like I carry around my teacher tag. Like, yep, this is me. I'm a teacher. Um, and it's not just that. It's also like my size. Like I'm five foot four. And, you know, I'm standing in a group of 55 kids. It's hard to look commanding and authoritative on the podium. Like every, everybody always expects you to be right. Like that's what yeah. they want you to be. That's the stereotype. Right. Yes. So I wouldn't quite say that I've ever, I've yet to experience something misogynist in my job again, mm -hmm. because my students are so used to having a female up there. Right. I think yeah. it would be different if I was in a different school district. But yeah. I can definitely say, like, at interviews, people have been very surprised to see me show up for the band job. Oh, my God. Um, they assume that I'm there for the vocal position, sometimes oh. an orchestra position. Usually, if it's a vocal or a general position, they're like, oh, are you here to interview for the vocal? Um, no, I'm here to interview for the band job. Um, so that's an assumption I've gotten. I, I've had a lot of people assume what instrument I play. Um, because I'm a trumpet player. You know, there's not many of us. Um, mm -hmm. I distinctly remember... I was going to a summer music festival in high school and I walked up to the table to sign in for registration 
And the guy was like, okay, wait, I'm going to guess what instrument you play. And then he went through like eight of them before I said, are you going to give up now? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, I play the trumpet, dude. Like, come on. But he went through the stairs, flute, clarinet, saxophone, blah, blah, blah. Like everybody oh, seems yeah. like a clarinet player. I don't know why. Maybe it's because my last name's Reed. <laughs> so if not clarinet then oboe right or bassoon yeah right like they went through he went, literally went through every single one except for trumpet and like trombone and i was like dude oh my gosh of course so, yeah oh my gosh, that's wild mm-hmm. so it's it's kind of more like the confusion right it's not it's not uh super direct i've i've had more direct um situations when it came to being a trumpet player um than being a teacher but it's more the confusion at first, like the, are you here for this? No, I'm not. I'm here for this. Thank you. You know, it's. Yeah. 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 That's wild. I find it fascinating that, you know, choir is associated as a female kind of art and band is associated as like more masculine. Mm -hmm. When you think about like the history of choir was like women weren't even allowed to sing in the church, like for thousands of years or thousands of years, for hundreds of years in the Catholic church that, it just, I find that fascinating that like singing has become this more delicate art. Yeah, I think that's the assumption, right? Especially um, when we're talking about teenage boys. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of young boys are afraid to participate in choir and things like that because it's seen as girly, it's seen as feminine. Um, mm-hmm. It's, you know, they're afraid of the re- repercussions. But the funny thing about the school I work at is I am, you know, a straight cisgender female in my band position mm-hmm. and our high school choir director is a straight cisgendered man i love mm. it roles are reversed right? so like <laughs> if we're following stereotypes we should be flip-flop right yeah um, yeah but and it's really great though that he is there um and he's a wonderful colleague of mine because we have a lot of boys that end up participating in choir that's um, amazing. We have a lot of boys end up participating in the musical. So we're never like searching for male roles like a lot of other schools are trying to make yeah. up for it because they have like 50 women in their musical and one guy. And they're like, what show can we do? We have to rotate through <laughs> the same three, right? We don't have that problem because he's there and he's representing something for these boys. He's making them feel more confident. And so we can flip that on the other side of the coin and talk about women and how women in band are showing girls, hey, I can be a band director too. But it's the same thing with guys in choir, right? Yeah. Being there is so great for these kids, for sure. That's ab- uh, like it's so equally powerful that representation. I think mm-hmm. I I had the same problem at my school. I mean, I graduated with thirty kids, and there was like a hundred kids in my high school. But it was like I think like one year we had two dudes in choir, like, and it was yep. just like, oh, I just wanted to be there because all the chicks are in there. Mm-hmm. Um. And yeah, I, I remember singing like tenor because I have a, I have yeah. a very wide range, but I sing tenor trying to be like, okay, we got to boost. We finally got two guys in choir. We need to like boost this section who can sing that low. But mm-hmm. no, that's very cool having that, just that representation and somebody that can inspire men to, you know, the, you can go wherever you want with music. It's not gendered. Yeah. It, and the kids wherever. think it's normal in my building. They don't question it at all. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, great. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. yeah, I mean, everyone avoided choir in my high school, like the plague, you know, so <laughs> we had a huge marching band and, and wind ensemble and then, you know, like a little 40 person choir, if that, you know, Yeah. even the program that Hillary and I met in, you know, they announced, hey, you're all going to have to sing in a choir and all the guys were like, oh, no. Yeah. 
And I would have been one of those guys, right? That would have been like, right. oh. I was terrified of choir. The thing is, is I used to be terrified of choir too, because I like, and I, I guess I used to sing in a youth choir. My mom used to lead a church youth choir, and so we'd sing at church, but. When I got to high school, I, I had the same thing. I was like, band is way cooler than choir. Like, choir just... And I think it was I was super intimidated to read music and sing. And that played, like, I didn't want to admit that I didn't know what I was doing with sight singing. And then that really got thrown in my face when I went to school for music in college. And they're like, hey, you have to learn this. But it was, like, a skill I'd kind of, like, tiptoed around and avoided. Because, like, band, you know, I, I used to play flute, stereotypically. <laughs> But, you know, you pick up your flute and you go play an A and you go, okay, I put my fingers down and I get an A. But it's like, in, if I ask you to sing an A, like, unless you have perfect pitch or I give you a reference point, it's kind of like, you just don't have that go-to. Yeah. Um, I think we're also not super confident in our voices because no one's ever made us sing, right? And, like, yeah. my senior year of high school, I was in AP Music Theory. And then I had to sing in front of people because my teacher, yeah, he did yeah. singing Tuesday. And uh, every Tuesday I was in band right before theory trying to cram what we were going to be sight singing that day and probably crying to myself like, I don't want everybody to hear me sing because no. over half my class were kids in choir. <laughs> judge me. I want to be standing up in front of everybody. I'm just going to cry because I... I was not confident in my singing voice at all whatsoever. And my, uh, oh my gosh, I remember my AP music theory teacher used to get so mad because I have a Buffalo accent, right? You could probably tell by my nasally A's by now, but we would go to sing fa and our, and the pitch would go up and he would get so mad because our, like our nasally A's would like mess up fa and, oh, I was just traumatized by that experience. So when I went to college and I was taking solfege and aural skills and I had to sing all the time I was like mortified but I had amazing professors that kicked me in the butt and made yeah. me actually really work at it and then I got out of college and I was applying to choir jobs you're like because I can do this and I'm not yeah. <laughs> my my undergrad prepared me to teach anything which um was great like I had to take I had to learn all the instruments, obviously. I had to take string methods, general music, choral methods. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, my choral methods professor kicked me in the butt. I was like, okay, I can sing in front of everybody now. It's fine. Yeah. I was singing all the time as a band director. And I'm like, yeah, that's what you got to <laughs> do, people. So, yeah. No, that's powerful. Yeah, I remember feeling the same way in my oral perception when I got to college. And I was like, I literally started at the bottom. Like, I remember going in for my placement exam and like failing it miserably yep. and they're like we're gonna put you in remedial theory and I remember just being like mortified if I ever got called on but you know you work really hard at it the next like I think my second year I was like actually getting really like way better and more comfortable singing in front of people but yeah I had the exact opposite problem they found out that I took AP music theory in high school so they assumed that I was going to be good at it so they put <laughs> me in like the advanced section and I walk in and um, they were going around the room and they were saying, oh, how, what theory experience do you have? And I'm in this class with a bunch of composition majors. Yeah. And my kid's <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I took like six years of theory courses at Eastman before I came here. And I'm sitting here like, I don't even want to sing in front of people. What am I doing? <laughs> oh, that's terrible. But like, I yeah. noticed that with me, if I'm in a room with people that are better than me, it challenges me more to work harder. So it's actually a good thing that I was in that section. But it was terrifying at first. Yeah. Like, oh, AP Music Theory? Okay, she can do it. <laughs> nope. What's that quote? There's a saying that if you're the smartest person in the room, you need to leave the room. You need yeah. to go. Yeah. 
go to the next find another room yeah (laughs) no it's cool i thought i knew more music theory than i did so i went in and i like took the the placement test for music theory ahead of actually going into the program I was like, I'm going to get this. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> They're going to skip me ahead because I've had, you know, this many years of piano lessons. I know my scales. Yeah. And then I get to, and I like do the test and I was feeling okay about it. Teacher comes back and he's like, yeah, so we're seeing music theory one. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. damn. <laughs> Such a humbling experience. Yeah. But yeah, there's something about that vulnerability that I, I don't know if that's even on a gendered level of like just that being exposed, like getting up and singing. That's the most like exposed thing you can do because you're not hiding behind, not that you would hide behind your instrument, but you're like, I mean, there's physically something in front of you when you're when you're playing an instrument, but when you're singing, you're just exposed. <laughs> yeah, we're not used to that, right? Not, not enough band directors have their kids sing either. So I didn't have to sing at all. Oh yeah, same. sixth Never. grade all the way through twelfth grade, I didn't have to sing at all, and so Never. I finally had to, and I was terrified. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was even telling my drummers like when I was teaching percussion in high schools, if you can say it, then you can play it, and they're all like, "Oh, whatever," you know. It's like, no, if you, that really <laughs> means you know it, so yeah. say all the rhythms exactly how you would play it, and then play it. Mm-hmm. They're usually much better, but yeah, it's it's powerful for sure. Well, thanks for letting me sidetrack that with a... <laughs> That's okay. I always go off on tangents, so you're fine. So uh, I did some, like, research, and I saw that Clarence is a pretty small town. Yeah. Right? So yeah. with Clarence being pretty small, and you're north of Buffalo, and not yet to Rochester and Niagara Falls, did you feel like there was a, a lot of multicultural mix in your education? <laughs> I got to laugh because you don't know, but I'll explain. Uh, My town that I grew up in, uh, very wealthy, suburban, white, 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 white. We had like no kids of color in my school at all whatsoever. Uh, Maybe a few in like the school, like 912 building, maybe a handful. Um, So yeah, we were not diverse at all whatsoever. Median income when I was in school was probably well over $90,000 a year. Very wealthy, right? Um, My family, we were on the very bottom end of the barrel in that town. So, I mean, I could have been getting free lunch, but Mm -hmm. my mom didn't want me to get made fun of. So I didn't get free lunch. She just packed me lunch every day, right? But we were well, well below the average income in my town. Um, But yes, no, we were not very diverse at all whatsoever. And I think that made me coming to my first job working in a very diverse uh, school district, a little bit of a culture shock, not in the sense that um, I couldn't handle what I was doing or that I didn't have the experience because I was smart in my undergrad and I made sure I taught all the way through and got into as many different schools as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was very interesting to just see the differences in experience between what I grew up in and what my students grow up in. Mm-hmm. Um, because in, in the cultural way, I can't relate to them. In the socioeconomic way, I can kind of because I was the poor kid in my town. But no, we were not very diverse. We are one of the wealthiest towns in the Buffalo area. So that was a little bit weird for me, like walking into now working in a school where it's a title one school district. So it's nowhere near the same, but yeah. So, um, 
yeah, it's, it was definitely a culture shock, but yeah, no, we were I mean, not diverse at all. <laughs> That's why I laugh when you ask the question. So. <laughs> like, oh no, not even a little bit. No, we were all white, all white. <laughs> yes. Sea of Elmers. Um, yes, basically. And the teachers too. Yeah. I did not have, all of my teachers were white all the way through school. Wow. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, mine too. Sorry. Now that I think about Isn't that, that crazy to think about? Ah, I saw a post the other day and it was like, uh, comment when you had your first black teacher. And I literally just commented, I never did. Not even yeah. in college. Yeah, I'm thinking the same. I'm like, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't until oh. I got to drum corps. But yeah, yeah we thought the most eth- ethnically diverse we had was a sixth grade teacher whose last name was um, Greek. And mm-hmm. we're just like, oh, Greek, okay, let's go. <laughs> what is Greek like? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember I had my chemistry teacher was Sicilian. And oh, okay. uh, I mean, I could say this because I am Sicilian, but we're still white. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think we're separate from it. No, we're not. We're still white. Uh, that was like, I guess, my most diverse, not even diverse. She just liked to speak in Sicilian to her mother on the phone during class. So I was just like, oh, I want to know what she's saying. And we're like, um, we're supposed to be learning chemistry right now so we could pass a regents exam. And you're on the phone with your mother speaking in Sicilian. So we balance these equations. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Do you think having that kind of upbringing kind of help pushed you maybe more into being more aware of that kind of stuff or yeah um I came from a very elite band program um to a point where we were operating kind of like the military and boot camp every day um wow I had kind of a toxic relationship with my high school band director um and well, um, I had a really good relationship with my private teacher, like I mentioned earlier, that brought me up all the way through. And he was the number one reason why I wanted to be a band director. I also wanted to be a band director because I had such a toxic experience with my um, director in high school that I was like, there's got to be a better way to do this. Right. right. You guys right. seen the movie Whiplash? Yeah. <laughs> he was kind of like that. Wow. That, that guy was like a caricature of him in a way. Um, so he got to us by screaming, by throwing things, by, you know, it was it was not it was not the best way to teach kids, right? Like I always talk about the toolbox, like yelling at kids is the last tool in your toolbox. What are you gonna do after that? You don't have any, right? right. So I'm not a yeller with my kids. I can I can scare them in other ways. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just really, I'm really sarcastic. They know my dry sense of humor, it's fine. Um, but I, I didn't have that great of a relationship with him. We had a very elite program. It was all about being the best. It was all about being better than everybody else. If And um, he used to, there's a road that runs through our town that leads to the town next o- over. And he would always mention that road and be like, you're playing like you live on the other side of this road. Oh. Um, and we're like, mm, okay. And so when I was a freshman, I was kind of indoctrinated to believe that this was the way. And like, we were the best and we had all this ego and yada, yada, yada. And by my senior year, I was like, there's got to be a better way to teach mm-hmm. kids. Um, so that was like kind of my motivation there as well. Um, I'm still thankful for the education that I got and the experiences that I got. And the vast majority of the teachers in my school district were wonderful people um, who, you know, taught me all the things that I needed in order to be, to go to school for music and to be a music teacher. And I don't know if I would have gone if I didn't have those people. Right. Right. Um, but in that way, it kind of motivated me. And 
I knew that there was an outside world there where people were more diverse and not looking like my ensembles looked because it was all a bunch of white kids. Um, and I don't think I really saw that too much until I started working with uh, community music school programs out in Cleveland, Ohio. And then I started to see more diverse pool of students and really get those experiences in. Um, but it did a lot of my college experience in my undergrad and now in my graduate work with research that I'm doing has opened my eyes um, to the fact that there is a bigger world out there with very different looking ensembles. And those are the kids that are not very represented in state conferences or Midwest and those things that like my band used to go perform at. And yeah, it's it's unfortunate. I think that's what it made me realize the most was that there's this bigger world out there than my little bubble. Um, that high school was for me. So yeah, it was kind of crazy um, to go from that to what I'm doing now for sure. Wow, that's powerful. Just that I kind of zeroed in on just saying that the toxic experience that you had. It's crazy how those kind of experiences can motivate us to be like, yeah, no, I'm, I never want to deal with that crap again. Like this mm -hmm. is, yes, there's a better way out there. And just hats off to you for, you know, going to pursue that and, and trying to be that representation of just a new path forward. And yeah, and I mean, wow. the, the kids that I played with were my family, right? Like we were all super close and I wanted to create that culture for students again. And I'm slowly trying to do that in my school now because that wasn't the case before I got there. And like, they were all my best friends. They're still some of my best friends. Um, and my greatest experiences of high school were with that ensemble. So um, yeah. I don't want to like discredit that at all. I love being yeah. right, I love right. doing all of that. Um, Absolutely. Just that yeah. one relationship kind of crumbled as it went. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, but it, it was, it was worth it in the sense that I got those experiences, um, for sure. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's just kind of crazy. Um, I had played with a lot of tension from the way rehearsals were run, um, to a point where I thought that was normal, right? Cause as a brass player, we're all yeah. muscles all the time. Right. And I got to my undergrad and my, my trumpet teacher, Jack Suddy, um, he plays in Cleveland orchestra. He was like, what are you doing? <laughs> and he had all this, he, I carried so much tension, my neck, my upper back. I didn't want to miss any notes because when I was getting high school, I would get screamed at for missing a note, fracking a note, which every brass player does all the time. Right. right, like, yeah, right. Be perfect all the time, especially high school brass players. Are you kidding? Yeah. And um, so I had to be perfect all the time. And I played with so much tension. He would make me play with a book on my head. So I'd like keep my head up and my shoulders back and, um, wow. it was crazy. Just, it took, I think it took the entirety of my undergrad to reverse the time yeah. I was playing with. So like those experiences that you have do have a ripple effect, um, physically yeah. and psychologically. So yeah, that was, it was just a crazy time. I, I don't regret it. Um, but yeah, it, it made me who I am for sure today. Yeah. Well, I think there's something really powerful about taking, and I'm just thinking for anyone that's listening, um, if you have like a negative experience in music and really just reframing how you're viewing that and taking the value from it. Okay. You know, this might be something that, you know, you could take a look at it from a victim standpoint and be like, okay, I, you know, that could have led for a very different life where you've been like, I'm going to go to the sciences. Like I can't do music. I'm done. Or versus like, looking at it from a point that you can reframe into an empowering moment of like, okay, I've experienced this and it's, it's given me all this knowledge and I want to take this knowledge forward and I want to maybe reshape some things. So I just think it's 
super powerful going forward from a negative experiencing experience and you know getting as much value out of that as you can and shaping it as you as you pass the torch on to the next generation so that's i don't know that's really cool <laughs> yeah hey, and i was Very one of those inspiring. kids that took like nine ap so i could have gone and done something else for sure but yeah. that was that was what i loved and i couldn't see myself doing anything else right so yeah talk about the research project that you're doing with the school district i just heard on one of your episodes right yeah so i've been doing a few things um there was a gender equity and music conference um, that happened at Eastman last March, right before everything shut down in New York um, from the pandemic, which was the crazy experience. Uh, but I was able to still do that, which was really awesome. It is actually the first gender equity and music conference to ever happen in a collegiate institutions. Wow. So that was pretty cool that that happened at Eastman. Also 2020 people like we're doing right. this now. That's a little bad. Oh my God. Um, no. <laughs> so, uh, I got to present, um, some of my some of my research and some findings from some other wonderful folks um there so i presented on gender equity and band uh and that was really great um one of the projects i also have been um streamlining at my own district are uh have to do with um gender neutral instrument demonstrations for kids um something that i've found in my research is obviously we know about how there's gendered instruments and how there's all these gender instrument selection biases and all these things. Um, and I'm reading all this research and I'm like, okay, this seems like a lot of, hey, this is the problem, this is the problem, this is the problem, where's the solution, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I thought, you know, what if there was a way to create some sort of online platform or website or something where kids can view each instrument with male and female representation for every single instrument, right? One would yeah. think, oh, that's so simple, right? Why hasn't anyone, I don't know why. I, I was just <laughs> like, hey, why don't we just do this? So I recruited um, a bunch of my colleagues and friends from my undergrad, from my graduate work, from just random people that I knew. And I was like, hey, can you make a video for me? Um, we tried to create a diverse pool as possible. So some of my Latinx friends, some of my black friends, people of all different uh, walks of life, were represented in these videos. So um, my colleague, Aaron Stabell, he is the arts music administrator person at our district. So he's the music admin. He helped me create this website. Um, so I gathered all the videos together. He was like, oh, I have this cool website program. I'm gonna help you build a website. So that was nice. Uh, <laughs> so we had like that. Um, and it ended up being perfect timing because right now beginning band can't start due to the pandemic. So these kids, when they go to select their instruments, they're going to have to watch these videos anyway. So it was perfect timing wow. um, with this because they can't do the normal instrument demonstration. Um, but at the time, I was doing all this research and I asked Aaron, I was like, how do we do instrument demonstrations in our district? Like, how do we do those? Because I'm not I'm not a beginning band person. So I don't see it done. I just get the second. Yeah. Kids. He was like, oh, uh, yeah, I think we have like just one guy come in and he plays all of them. And I'm Whoa. like, um, <laughs> okay. And this individual is a trumpet player. So, and not only is he a trumpet player, he's a lead jazz trumpet player. So he's going to come in, he's going to make the, you know, trumpet sound balls to the walls. Uber yeah. I love <laughs> this guy. So I'm not trying to hate on him, but I know yeah. him. Right. And, um, 
I don't know about you, but I'm sure there are some secondary instruments that you're not feeling too hot about. Same thing with me, like flute and trombone are my two that I'm like, whoo, struggle bussing. Um, <laughs> Nobody yeah. would say too much if it was up to me. Like, yeah, and he's not, he's not even a band director, so he's not, you know, keeping up on these secondary instruments. So I'm sitting there like, okay, so what instruments is he making sound good and what instruments are not so good, right? That's my yeah. concern with having one person. So I was like, that's not cool. Let's do something else. So we got these videos together. So basically um, the kids would go on the website, they'd click on the, just the name of the instruments, they'd watch all the videos and side by side, kind of like how we are in Zoom right now, there would be a male and a female windows next to each other. And um, both people have to play um, the theme to Ode to Joy first. So these students are getting a sound concept of the instrument first. That's important because if they hear this person play Jurassic Park and the other person play Oh to Joy, they're gonna go, I wanna pick the Jurassic Park thing, cause yeah. cool, Jurassic Park's cool. So we have every instrument playing Oh to Joy. So there's no, uh, that's cool, I wanna slide on the trombone because that's why every kid plays trombone. Um, right. <laughs> so they're hearing the sound first. And then I asked the people to pick um, like part of an etude or something that they enjoy playing that would best represent their instrument. So the kids are getting that and then they get the fun thing, right? But yeah. both parties are playing the same thing first. So there's no gender bias there. They're right next to each other on the screen. Um, and yeah, that's for every single instrument. So flute, we got male, female, all the way down. Um, and so that's a way for the kids to see, oh, hey, it's not weird that this guy up here is playing the flute. Like guys can play flute too. Um, when they go to tuba, it's not weird to see a female playing the tuba. This chick's playing the tuba on the screen right now. It's normal. Um, so that's my way to kind of combat that. Obviously, we can't com combat every single influence, right? Like society has influences. Um, it's been proven through research that kids have gender instrument bias by the time they're in second grade. Wow. Yeah. Which they haven't started band yet. They're years yeah. from starting band and they already know, oh, girls play the flute, boys play the trumpet. They already know. Um, wow. That's well, crazy. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. That's insane. Isn't that crazy? So so we can't yeah. combat everything. But in this way, we're trying to at least fight that and say, hey, it doesn't matter. We literally have them both there side by side. So that's kind of the big project I've been working on. Um, I've been doing a lot of research with racial equity in band as well. I have a very diverse um, ensemble of kids that um, is not stereotypically what you would think of when you think of a high school band, you know, based upon the posters you see for Midwest and say conferences and stuff. And um, TMEA. One of the big things I've been, yeah, one of the bigs I've been big things I've been combating is uh, concert dress as well. Mm. Uh, for my kids and uniform and gender expression and basically I walked in and I said I don't care what you wear as long as it's professional and black wow and I'm wow. like Miss Reed's not going to get up there and conduct an address she's going to wear pants so I'm not going to tell you you have to wear a dress if I'm not wearing a dress that seems really hypocritical of me so wear right. whatever you want kids right and some of my kids can't afford yes tucks tails bow tie you know they can't afford every color dress <laughs> yeah exactly so it's and, and when i was in college that's what we did we wore yeah. professional black so oh. i'm like why am i why am i pushing that on my kids i'm like no you can wear whatever you want as long as it looks nice it doesn't have holes in it and it's black so cool 
So, I mean, and that's, that's another thing that's such an easy, simple fix, right? But it yeah. means the world to some of my kids that are gender fluid, transgender, non-binary, that means the world to them. So it's been a lot of projects already, but yeah, these are huge things. These are amazing. What's the, so what's the website? for the instruments um so uh, right now we're just using it for our kids but we are hoping oh, okay. to put it live soon so um i can okay, share like, that. man i want to check this yeah, out yeah <laughs> i can share that as soon as it does um we're trying to test yeah. run it on our kids first make sure absolutely. everything works <laughs> yeah absolutely but no. yeah i'll i'll be sure to share that on uh everything as soon as that's uh public for everybody but yeah yes we'll share that too wow, yeah, yeah i think i think the episode where you're talking to the michigan state instructor you brought up this uh website and i was just like how li- literally like you like how has no one thought of this before like this yeah. is so perfect i mean it, so many times you know we see like if there's a flute section that has a boy in it everyone's like oh my gosh you know they they f- defeminate him you know they mm-hmm. um demasculate or they you know insinuations on his sexuality and things and yet some of the best uh mm-hmm. flute players in the world in berlin and things like that they're men you know yeah and for and, hundreds and of years they were shown enough right like yeah. one way we can combat this is showing kids professionals that look like them yeah mm-hmm. right? it's just that extra step that you go on youtube people it takes like five seconds right, right? <laughs> james galway there's the flute send yeah. it to them right like um I think that's part of your job too, is to show them that, right? Mm-hmm. But I was just so jazzed up. I was like, yes, this is such a cool idea. I hope well, I, technology yeah. Technology is voodoo to a lot of people. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. No, and especially I think the wearing what you want to wear is such an empowering thing in music anyways, because I think you get that stigma between high society and low society of like, oh, well, musicians dress like high society. And so as someone that also grew up lower middle. And you're not making music for everybody when you do that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's intimidating to see a bunch of people on stage wearing clothes that you can't afford. And as a child, you're like, and even as like an adult, I'm like, oh, I, you know, I don't see myself in that role because I can't whip out 150 bucks for this choir dress I'm trying to make rent or as a child you're like you you can't ask your parents for that and your parents can't provide that for you yep this that's such an empowering thing that says come as you are you're welcome here you can dress I mean you can always get something secondhand that's black and make it look absolutely you and you can feel totally comfortable in it so hats off to you that's really cool yeah <laughs> I mean the, the argument people try to make is that oh hey well we're not all gonna look the same right like we want things to be cohesive right which i understand but i have two arguments against that first of all music is an aural experience yes (laughs) right it's not not visual unless you're throwing something in the screen behind the orchestra which in your case cool kudos to you because i think that's awesome but right the the focus is supposed to be auditory Mm -hmm. and b i was the only female for a long time in the back row of my college's wind ensemble and orchestra and mm-hmm. I wore a dress. Everybody wore tuxes around me. I was sticking out like a sore thumb anyway. Yeah. yeah. So it doesn't matter. I remember feeling so frustrated in choir because I, I sang in university choir because um, mm-hmm. I eventually learned to love singing in college. It took by my like junior <laughs> year. I, me, I was singing voice as my primary instrument. And then suddenly I was like, oh, I actually really love this. <laughs> <laughs> love it. But being in the choir, it was like, 
I hated the dresses. It was like we, the first dresses we had at the U of M when I was there were like completely fitted. So they took like all of your measurements and you know, they, you felt okay in them. But my senior year, they were like, we're going to make you buy another $80 dress. And it was like, okay, you're a size 14, whatever that means. And like, I remember like fitting in it and it was like, the shoulders are coming undone. It looks horrible on my hips. Like, you know, I just felt so like exposed in this thing. I'm like, I'm wearing this garment that looks like shit on me. And <laughs> it looks great on like three of the, three of the members in the ensemble. And so like, and you could just see it on like all of our faces. Like none of us look good in this dress. Like, well, and that heck? has to do with the complex that women have about body image issues that yes, men don't have too. to deal with and things like that. You're like, oh, guys can wear a jacket. They can cover up everything. We can't yeah. feel very exposed right now, especially when you have to take measurements for a dress. So yeah. yeah. Well, I remember my, yeah, the choral director was like, he was, he was a male and he was like, I'm going to have um, one of my gals come in and help you with measurements. He's like, I'm not going near this with a 10 foot pole. <laughs> Oh god, I couldn't imagine. No, I'm gonna measure your bust. <laughs> yeah, right. But oh man, I would have felt so much more comfortable just dressing in black, <laughs> not worrying about it. <laughs> yeah, this should be the last thing you have to worry about, right? Right. Kids are nervous enough to play in front of people. They shouldn't be worried about what they're wearing and how they look and yes. all those other things that makes middle school and high schoolers nervous. So yeah. Yeah, and like one of the things when you're singing is you know you're trying to flex your diaphragm as you're singing. So it's like I remember like my voice teacher day one was like, you need to get real comfortable looking fat. And he put the air quotes up. He's like, I'm not calling anybody fat or whatever, but he's like, our instinct is to always suck in and pull your diaphragm in and walk around like do 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 tense all the time. He was like, you need to relax all of that, and mm -hmm. that's gonna make you a better singer. And same same with instruments, you know, you have to yeah. pull the diaphragm breath too, but. Yeah, being, it's like when you're in that dress and you're like trying to, you go back to your instincts because you're on stage and you're like, this is so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm just happy to see where things are going. I feel like it's it's so incredibly powerful. That there are people like you out there in the world that are, you know, seeing these things that just could have been swept under the rug as like, well, this is how it's always been done and that's how we'll keep doing it. And so it's, it's so cool to see a new generation you know, step forward and say, no, this is dumb. We're not going to do this anymore just because it's been done. And, you know, there's a better path forward and we're going to find it. So thank so you. Good. Appreciate it. <laughs> because of this coronavirus epidemic pandemic, um, super starter cells, um, what do you wish parents understood about being a band director in a virtual world? Oh my goodness <laughs> gracious. Because I have a first grader, right? I have a first grader and a second grader. They don't have any of that kind of music stuff, but I'm just like, oh my gosh, what do you do? <laughs> you know, it's just. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, I had a conversation with my students at the very beginning of the year. Um, and basically I was talking to them, frankly, I said, I know this all sucks. We're going to get through it. This is temporary. I know it sucks. Right. Um, and I, I wish parents understood the immense amount of pressure that band directors are under right now. The amount of safety procedures we have to follow as per the CDC are like 10 times of that of any other teacher. 
I currently have to have my kids 12 feet apart. Matt, like they have to make their band mask where they cut the hole in it, which is so counterintuitive to any protection from coronavirus, which I don't get why we have to do that, but that's what we have to do, right? And my brass players have puppy pee pads on the floor to empty their spit out on its spit um, onto the floor. And uh, we have belt covers and all these crazy things. We are trying our best. And I wish parents understood that, you know, I have your kids best interests at heart. I wouldn't put them in a situation that was not safe. Um, I myself am a type one diabetic, so I am immunocompromised. Um, so if I'm not putting myself in a situation that wouldn't be safe, I wouldn't put your kids in that, right? Because, you know, as teachers, we inherently want to put our kids, our students or our kids first. I always call them my kids. No, I don't have 132 <laughs> children. Um, but, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, I wish they understood that. I wish they understood that uh, you know, band is a different class than other classes. Um, it has different requirements. Like right now, all of my lessons that they would get every week are now virtual um, to kind of, you know, save face and not have as many kids in and out of the room. Um, so I wish they understood that, yeah, the schedule is like really weird at my building, but I didn't make the schedule. You know, I just follow it. Right. Mm -hmm. Just like I didn't make the rules. I'm just following them. So it's kind of like the the shoot the messenger sort of thing, right? Like we're not making those rules. We just have to follow them. We're trying to follow them the best way that we can. But yeah, I guess in essence, I wish they understood that I always have their kids' best interests at heart, right? And I'm always putting their safety first. And as much as band is weird and they may not like playing with the mask on, it's what it is right now. And I hope it's more temporary than they're estimating it's going to be. But again, we don't know. Nobody knows. Nobody knows what they're doing. Nobody knows anything right now. Right. So, yeah. Kind I of mean, a hot mess. Yeah. I mean, the music and arts programs are already have enough pressure on them from administrations and, you know, that want to cut them and put that mm -hmm. money into other items, you know? Yeah. I mean, I've um, seen school districts where they just decided to cut all of their arts programs for this year because they just didn't want to deal with it. Or they're having music and art teachers teach other classes or fill in for other teachers for this year. And I'm, I don't know about you, but I don't feel comfortable teaching like algebra. No. I, I, I hate math. I don't want to get anywhere near that ever again. Right? <laughs> exactly. I, I could not cover a math class. My certification is in pre-K through 12 music. Oh, there's a the music part of my certification. That means I'm not qualified to teach your math class. So I'm fortunate in that I'm a teacher in New York state and they value music more right. than some other states do. We yeah. have a really great teachers union in my state that's trying to back us up, but there are other states that have seen it as more convenient to do those alternative routes right now. And that's a little terrifying to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's awful. I mean, I live in Texas and, you know, marching band is second only to football. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I know we had, I live in Billings and earlier before the pandemic hit, um, I was singing in the Billings Symphony Chorale and there's some, some music educators in there and they're like, we are on the chopping block yet again. And luckily there was enough Billings people got really pissed off and wrote letters and said, if you cut the music program, we're going to freak out. And they That's ended good. up not chopping it. But that comes up on the chopping block like every couple of years and even okay. at the U of M, like two years ago, they about wanted to gut it. And luckily everyone had to, it's like, we had to go rally for our funding every single year. Yeah. 
in Idaho too. Had to do that. Like pharmacy never had to go rally for funding. It was like we had to show up as 180 kids and like stand in front of the the, yeah. the whole the student union and be like, you can't cut our funding or we will come unglued. But mm-hmm. yeah. Well, in Idaho too, I remember my entire youth was just growing up and, you know, okay, we have to go make sure that we go get people to sign up and not vote <laughs> this bond in or wow. to vote the bond in or yeah. something, you know, oh, and man. the football team is oh and 15, you know, or like they beat a glorified high school team, you know, and, and yet they get brand new uniforms every year or something. Yep. And it's like, oh yeah. <laughs> the fuck? Come on, you know. I don't even get me started about that. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, and then of course that just leads me to like my last question, which was geared towards your podcast. And that's if you had a dream interview what would your dream interview be? So you sent me this question before and I had to sit and think a little bit on this question. And, and, and I, I never had anybody ask me that question before. Um, and if I had to pick one person, uh, it would probably be Joanne Folletta. I don't know if you know Joanne, but she uh-huh. is, she's the conductor of the Buffalo Philharmonic Orchestra okay. and the Virginia Symphony. Um, and for me growing up, that was one of the women in music that I looked up to because she was one of the only, like we talked about this. I had only had one female band director who was wonderful, but again, only one. And this was a woman who was one of the first women to conduct a professional symphony orchestra. Um, And she's still there and she's still doing her thing. And she just is such a powerful influence on my life personally. And I know the life of so many young girls growing up in the Buffalo area. Um, So she would be an amazing person to interview. Um, She studied with Leonard Bernstein. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, she's just an amazing individual. Uh, And I, and I think that would be the person that I would talk to. And I would talk to, you know, about all the other things that I talked to her about in my podcast. And I'm sure she has some stories. Oh, Um, sure. Oh, yeah. If I had to pick anybody else, I would probably um, choose Susan Schlatter, who uh, was the first female principal trumpet player of a major symphony orchestra. Oh, wow. Uh, She played for the St. Louis Symphony. Um, and so for me being, you know, a female trumpet player, that is someone that I've always looked up to as well. So I would also probably pick her. So I guess I cheated the question. I picked two people. That's, <laughs> That's okay. That's those okay. Two, those two people would be, would be wonderful to interview for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I just, I love, you have a way on your podcast of really getting your interviewers to just, or interviewees to really open up to you. And, yeah. uh, you know, you can kind of hear the the timidness at first and then by the end of it uh you were talking to liz uh from japan you know mm-hmm. and she just starts like i don't know i'd never talked about this to anyone before <laughs> and that was just such a cool yeah cool moment yeah and i mean for for me um i find that using humor often helps people kind of relax and start to talk about things so uh, I try to, you know, make fun of what's going on in my life and myself and those sorts of things <laughs> to get them to feel a little more comfortable. Um, but also my, my first few guests on my show were people that I'm friends with and are very close to. Um, so from right from the get go, we were very comfortable with talking as I've got gone on with my show, I've bring, brought on bigger names like Dr. Eris Golden and uh, people like that and Anne Majette from the Washington Post and people like that, that I was like, holy crap, I got this person on my show and I'm like right. sweating profusely through the interview, like especially with Anne, because I was like, she's a journalist. 
what if I ask a really weird question or I don't use the right grammar or something? I'm oh, yeah. like, oh my God, she's probably been interviewed so many times. Um, and I could not believe she agreed to be on the show. She, she followed my podcast on Twitter and I just reached out to her. I messaged her on Twitter and I was like, Hey, would you like to be on the show? And I was like, that is the ballsiest thing I've ever done before in my life because, um, it may sound like I'm an extrovert right now when I'm talking, but I'm totally an introvert. <laughs> I don't go up to people and approach them and introduce myself. I'm not good at networking in that way. Yeah. Um, but I think the great thing about the podcast is that um, I can just have a conversation with people about their life and find out a little more about them. And it kind of like removes that awkward barrier of just saying, hi, nice to meet you and shaking their hand. But yeah, yeah, it is a little like dipping your toes in the pool at first and not just cannonballing in. Uh, I like to ask them questions about their life at first. Mm -hmm. And then we get into the nitty gritty controversial details. But it's, I, I approach it from them talking about, you know, their favorite subject themselves, which for some people, it's very easy for them to talk about themselves and other people, yeah. not so much, um, right. <laughs> but it's still an area of comfort, right? They're reflecting on their childhood, their positive music experiences. And then, then we'll get into the whole nitty gritty. What is this thing about? Um, but I think it's a great opportunity for the audience to get to know the individual as well, if they don't know who they are. So it's kind yeah. of like dipping your toes in a little bit um, when I interview someone, so. I had um, the uh, the president of the International Women's Brass Conference on one of my podcast episodes, and I could not believe that she agreed to be on it. I freaked out. I was like, are you kidding me? Right. <laughs> and I, I had her agree on the same day that Anne agreed. And I was like, like, my mind just exploded. It was You're on crazy. cloud nine the whole day. Yeah, right. So I'm hoping to get bigger and bigger people as I go. But that was that was crazy to me because I just, you know, I started off just by reaching out to my friends and being like, hey, you want to talk? I already know about your life, but other people don't. So come on and talk, right? Um, yeah, exactly. Like, especially my, my second episode. So my first episode is just me, like, introducing what the podcast is about. The second episode is one of my colleagues and who's ended up becoming one of my best friends at work. And her and I were just like, all right, let's talk about your life. And then let's also talk about our jobs because our jobs are very interesting. And um, I'm hoping to do a part two with her soon and talk about teaching during a pandemic because we're both very stressed out. And I'm sure. maybe we'll have to have a couple adult beverages while we do it. But <laughs> yeah. yeah okay, we... my students don't really know I have a podcast yet. So they don't listen. So that's good. Oh, that's okay. But it would be a good <laughs> thing for them to listen to and discover yeah. the flip side of the coin, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Know me as a human. Yeah. 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 Not a mythical being that sleeps at school, you know. <laughs> I, I'm slowly telling them that I have one. I'm, I'm mentioning it very casually, like in their lesson. I'll be like, yeah, you know, what did you do during quarantine? And then they talk to me. I'm like, oh, yeah, I started a podcast. They're like, what? They think it's like <laughs> so weird and dirty. They're like, Miss Reed, you're just such a geek. And I'm like, yeah, I know. What can I say? Yeah, That's own it though. So. <laughs> oh, I own it. Trust me. I've been owning it my whole life. It's it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. That's good. You got to own the geekness and then it doesn't seem so yes. geeky. Yeah, exactly. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Thanks for listening to the Sounds of the World podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode. There are links to everything in the episode description and also on our website. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Sounds of the World. To show support for Sounds of the World podcast, please join our Patreon, where you can have access to our after-party discussions with guests, 
discounted merchandise, and even more. If you have any questions, answers, or episode suggestions, please email us at soundsoftheworldpodcast at gmail.com. Well, Bill, I think I'm going to go have a beer now. Hey, there you go.